You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Mike Schuff, as Steve said, and I'm happy to be here. I'm blessed to be here. I'm blessed to be anywhere, actually. And uh, I'm glad you're here and that we can have this time together uh, in God's Word. So uh, last week, we, uh, Matt started off a series in Philippians and began to explain to us, again, God's sovereign work in our life to sanctify us. We know that that's always a work in progress, and He's bringing us to completion And we sang about that when one day we leave this world and go to be with Jesus. And hallelujah, no more sanctification. We will be all that we need to be. We'll be like him. So we also said that in the the song, or Chip mentioned, I guess, that Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we're part of that. We're called to participate in that. And it's been amazing to me as we think about pressing on to advance the gospel. It's been amazing to me over the years that even in this very unfinished condition, uh, as a disciple of Jesus, that he chooses to use me. And you maybe have heard it said, you know, God doesn't need us, but he's chosen to use us. And that is so true. And he wants to use us. And uh, we should love being involved in in what he's doing. And I know that your hearts do. But today we're here to be encouraged in this whole thing of pressing on to advance the gospel. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. If you want to turn there in your Bible or on your device, or if you're using the black Bible in the pew, it's page 980. I looked it up. It's the first thing I did when I came in this morning. So if you'll look at Philippians chapter 1 with me. Uh, Verse 12, we'll read down through verse 18, and this is the Word of God. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ with envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Pray with me. Lord, thank you that we can gather here together as your church. Thank you for this book that I hold in my hands. Thank you for preserving it for us. It's your word, Lord, and we thank you for it. And we pray that you would open our ears today to hear what you want us to hear. Pray you'd help me to speak the word in truth and be an encouragement to your people. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. So I want to start off by talking about the gospel advance and having to do with the church. I think the gospel can advance when we have a love for the church. You'll notice there in verse 12, the first part of verse 12, or just listen. I want you, he says, I want you to know. And I want to cut the verse off right there. I want you to know. Um, in Paul's day and for some time after, it was customary to begin a letter this way if what was to follow was of utmost importance or, or from the heart, so to speak. And I imagine Paul wrote this with great emotion on his travel-worn face by this time and, and his imprisonment. And if you'll notice in the first part of this chapter, speaking of emotion, we see the, we see the words feel, heart, longing, affection, and love. And so we see, as Paul writes this letter, that he has a passion for this church. And he's saying, I want you to know something. It's important. It's from my heart. It's for your health. It's for your encouragement. It's for your challenge. He said in, in chapter, so we see his passion for the church. And he says in chapter 4 and verse 1, he said, you are my joy and my crown. You're my joy and my crown, you Philippians. And in Acts chapter 16, when we look at the initial planning of the church of Philippi, which Matt mentioned uh, last week, and by the way, it is interesting that we, this dovetails with the planting, celebration of the planting uh, of Liberty Church 10 years ago. We praise God for that and his, his faithfulness. And you remember that Paul, you may remember that Paul wanted to visit Asia and by, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow him to do that. He had a vision in the night. Uh, a man of Macedonia appeared and said, come over to Macedonia, which is Europe. And he said, come over and help us. And Paul, concluding that God had called him to preach the gospel there, he went. And when he got there, he was joined with some women in a prayer meeting by the river. A woman named Lydia was there. She was a businesswoman, the leader probably of that group. She evidently then received Christ and was baptized in her house. And then there was uh, the, the casting out of a spirit of divination from a slave girl, as it were. And Paul and Silas then were dragged into prison and put in stocks, put in chains because of that. And then at midnight, some of you know the story, it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture, they're singing praises in the prison to God. They're praying and singing, and there was an earthquake and then the jailer, he was afraid of a lot of things by this time. He goes running in and falls down before them. And he says the question that all of us want somebody to say if we're trying to be a witness to them about Jesus. He says, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him immediately, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so he did. And he was baptized that night. He washed their stripes, actually, took them healed, worked on their wounds, bandaged their wounds, and took care of them. And it's a tremendous story. And I just want to say to you, if you're here this morning and you're examining who Jesus is and what he came to do and his sacrifice on the cross, and that's becoming meaningful to you, the Lord is working in your heart, I want to encourage you to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, and you will be saved. You can have all your sins forgiven and know for sure that if you died, you'd go to heaven. I encourage you to think about that, and we can help you with that if, uh, if you'd like us to. 
So most likely, this was the birth of the church at Philippi. Paul had seen God do great things, obviously, in the lives of these folks. They were his spiritual children. And then looking back at Philippians 1, in the chapter we're in today, he thanked God for them and who they were in Christ. And he prayed always and everywhere, I say, prayers for them, in verse 3. And it seems every time he thought of them, a prayer dripped off of his lips. And Eugene Peterson, he has a way of saying things. He said, every time you cross my mind, I break out an exclamation of thanks to God. Each exclamation is a trigger for prayer. Don't you like that? So he had a pastoral bond with these these people. And one commentator said, the bonds of grace are strengthened by adversity. The affection of the heart is deepened by sharing in suffering. So let me remind us at this point that we don't have to be a pastor who's receiving a who's on staff and and being a, being paid to pastor a church or or an elder a volunteer elder to shepherd and pastor people the gift of pastoring and shepherding uh, you may have that gift yourself and we need that gift to be uh, manifested in the body uh, there's a lot of shepherding that needs to to go on just throw that in there so you know and I ask myself. You know, as far as the church, where would I be without the church? Where would you be this morning without the influence of the church, the influence of pastors, the influence of godly people around you? You may have had bad experiences or whatever, but where would you be now without the church in your life? I grew as a new convert in the church. I learned how to obey Jesus and trust him by faith and saw my faith grow in the church. I had opportunities to serve and explore my gifts uh, and talents and abilities in the church. So here I'm also reminded of missionaries. Over the years, we would receive letters and we'd pray for them by name and need, and uh, then we'd respond and try to help them with their needs. And it causes me to think of our relationship here at Liberty with Liberty's Mercy Ministries and our missionaries, church planners and church planning assistants, and I just, want, just started to think, you know, how much do I know of their hearts, their vision, their challenges, their marriages, their children, their staff, their people, uh, the spirit in their ministry, what their ministries are trying to do in their setting? How different is it? How can I pray for them? And so, you know, I'm not saying we can have a longing, a heart, love relationship with all these churches, but, you know, they are our brothers in Christ. They're partakers of the same grace. They're set for the same gospel that we are. And uh, so we can enter into that by prayer. And we can enter into that by partnering and by giving. And so Paul opens this letter, I think, by saying, I want you to know something. And I just wanted to talk about the church and our love for the church. And I have a few questions for us to think about. It made me think... uh, Do I love the church? Do I love my church? Do I sense the heart of our church and what it's trying to do in the area of advancing the gospel? And then I wrote down, it just came from somewhere, not only do I sit in the pew, but I really love what my church is trying to do. Should I read that again? Did you get that one? Did it run by you too fast? Not only am I sitting in the pew, 
but do I really love what my church is trying to do? I thought it was good. I... Let that sink deep down in your heart. Anyway, you get the point. And I think you would agree, uh, this is far more than having a Liberty mug and a t-shirt in your swag closet, right? It's a lot more than that. Loving our church, loving the church, loving Christ's church, loving Christ's bride. The gospel can advance when we more and more love the church as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Seems, seems very simple. But let's ask God to deepen our love for his church. And then number two, the gospel can advance when we make the gospel a priority in all of our life. You see there in verse 12, it says, I want you to know, brothers, and then he finishes that sentence, obviously, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The Philippians most likely thought he was closed up and unable to teach, uh, unable to carry out God's mission. The evangelistic message was being hindered. You know, what will happen to our beloved Paul? Uh, they had sent Epaphroditus with a gift to encourage him. Well, they were troubled about his condition, his well-being. And I'm sure they were excited to receive this letter that Epaphroditus clutched in his hand when he arrived. And Paul may have thought that his being imprisoned in Rome, uh, in a Roman prison, might be a stumbling block to them. And they may have thought that if, if uh, God has allowed this to happen to someone like Paul, what may become of us if we continue with this outward show of faith, if we persist in being vocal about the gospel? But here's what I want us to get. It's obvious that Paul isn't concerned about his predicament, but more with the emotional and spiritual health of the church. In other words, he wanted them to know what God was doing in his life or in his circumstance and through him there in the prison. And let me just say, there was nothing nice about any Roman prison. Nothing nice at all. So God was at work, and Paul's imprisonment was part of God's divine strategy. And so Paul made it his priority. He made it his priority because it was God's plan. And sometimes God is working in our life, and he puts circumstances in our life, and we don't, we don't make it uh, the gospel. We don't make our witness in that circumstance a priority. We're concerned about our own thoughts and needs and so forth. And so, and if he was able to deflect what God was doing in the midst of terrible outward circumstances, then the believers at Philippi, some of them new converts, no doubt, uh, in Philippi, would be comforted and encouraged and challenged in the midst of their persecution that they were probably already facing by this time, or they would. So God chose to telegraph his gospel message through Paul's trouble, through Paul's trouble. And Paul chose to prioritize God's plan in the midst of his painful place. And I love this story by Sinclair Ferguson, and I'm going to paraphrase. There's a fitting analogy here with the heart of Jesus as he shepherded his disciples on the night before he was crucified. There's a, there's a, there's a good analogy here with Jesus and Paul shepherding the Philippians, and also us. So back in John chapter 13, we have Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. They have the Lord's Supper, and he says to them, He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. 
And then after saying these things, it says in the Bible, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say unto you, one of you will betray me. And then shortly after that, there was the prediction of Peter's coming denial. But then a short time later, in John chapter 14, he says these words, let not your heart be troubled. He was in trouble. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus was beginning to be in deep trouble. And he was concerned about his disciples' hearts not being troubled. God was at work here. God was working out his eternal plan in Jesus' life. And so that's a great... And Paul had that same mindset. He's saying, I want you to know some things. God's working through this. It's okay. It's God's plan. And we need to nurture that in our own life in that same kind of way. I have some deep emotions when I think of some people in my prior ministry. Uh, I still pray for some who invested in my life early on. People who have suffered greatly, and I watch God mold them, shape them to be a better witness. And maybe, maybe you do as well perhaps, if you've been saved a long time. And uh, people to which I would want to say, as Paul did, I want you to know some things. You know, I want you to know I'm still trying to love Jesus. I'm still trying to put him first in my life. Uh, God is still working in my life. He's still changing me. You know, I'm still trying to tell others about him as he gives me opportunity and by his grace. And I, you know, I want to know about them. I want to know if they're still walking in the faith. Sometimes I pick up the phone and call some people and see how they're doing and ask them how it's going with their soul, if they're still walking with Jesus, um, if they're still loving Jesus, and so forth. Uh, I'm interested if they're still among the faithful. And so God, again, was bringing blessings out of these blastings, if I might say it that way, blessings out of blastings in Paul's life, and it happened over and over again. He was bringing salvation out of these sufferings. And Jesus, uh, God was doing just what he said he was going to do when Jesus uh, told Ananias, I believe it was, he's a chosen vessel for me. In Acts chapter 16, I will show you how much he will suffer for my sake and for the name of my sake. And so can you imagine that conversation <laughs> that happened there when he received that word? And so surely the lesson we can take from this is when we're faced with unjust challenges that we think are unjust, uh, or criticism, God forbid, imprisonment, or when faced with unexpected tragedies in our life or caught up in rebukes to our faith by those that are uh, strictly materialistic or humanistic at best. When we find ourselves in the hospital, the question is, will people see Christ in our life and how will that, how will that happen? Are we willing to let Jesus be the priority in the things that we say. So number one, the gospel can truly advance when we have a passion for his church. Number two, it can advance when we make the gospel a priority in all of our life. And then number three, and similar, uh, along similar vein, when we trust in the purposes of God and the plan of God. And how did that happen for Paul? Well, it happened, first of all, with these guards that were around him. Verse 13 says, 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The gospel became known to the imperial guard, the Roman guard, the praetorium. What became known? It became known that he was there because he was in Christ, because of his union with Jesus. That's all. He wasn't a thief. He wasn't a murderer. He wasn't a thug. He wasn't a rapist. He was simply a Christian. And it became known, this guy's different. (laughs) Boy, was he different. It became apparent that Paul was a surely a different kind of prisoner and because Jesus was there with him in the prison, like he said he would. And, uh, you know, Paul was held captive by the Roman guards, but his heart is held captive by Jesus. And I have to ask myself the question, is my heart held captive by Jesus? Is it really held captive by Christ? Am I just a surface Christian? Am I just a nominal Christian? Do I just name the name of Christ, but when I'm out of church, it's different? And if it is, God needs to help me with that. Has he really captured my heart? When we read the rest of Philippians about for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, uh, we have some lessons to learn in this, in this book for sure, all of us. So that's a big question we have. So these soldiers were of high training, high quality. They were of long tenure probably. They were tough men. And Paul's witness to them may have influenced the whole palace. You know, it says at the end of chapter 4, it uses the word Caesar's household and the royal, the royal family and everybody that was connected with them. And so here's the secret takeaway, uh, the takeaway I think. Paul, uh, Paul's secret was that he could always see or try to see where God was working around him. And uh, I think that was a good thing. He was sensitive to that because one of the great truths is God is always working around us to bring about his purposes. And sometimes he invites us to be involved in what he's doing in someone's life. And that takes a step of faith. It takes a step of faith to step into that and trust God to use us in those situations and speak the gospel into somebody's life or speak a truth into somebody's life. And I think we know that. So we can rest assured be rest assured that when we desire to be used of God, he also goes with us and he prepares people around us. And Paul knew that God was with him. In verse 16, it says, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Not I came here, although he did. Not I traveled here, although he did. But I am put here. I am put here for the defense of the gospel. He had a true sense of God's undeterred plan. So outwardly, everything was against him. But he knew he was right in the the middle of God's unstoppable plan. And when I think of an unstoppable plan, I think of an avalanche. (laughs) We have these Winter Olympics there in Beijing, and it's snowing and it's cold. You know, I think of an avalanche. When an avalanche gets started, uh, nothing stops it until it stops itself. And I, I started thinking about the gospel like an avalanche. You know, it's, it's unstoppable until Jesus comes back. Isn't that good? I thought it was good anyway. It's like an avalanche, just moving, moving on out, you know, never going back. I like that, no matter how many of you like it. Anyway, Paul wrote to Timothy, 
Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as I preached in my gospel, for which I am bound with these chains as a criminal. But he said, the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the elect's for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus for eternal glory. We too can have confidence in the purposes of God when it comes to him using us to advance the gospel. So that's inside the prison. Then outside the prison, Paul says in verse 14, most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, the brothers. They're much more bold to speak the word now without fear. They became confident, which means they, at one point they were not confident. And probably closet Christians, I don't know. But how did they become confident? They knew how God was using Paul. Fear had become replaced by faith. Fear had become replaced by faith to trust God, to be used of him. You know, it's unclear how Paul's imprisonment really and his suffering inspired these believers, but most likely they jumped on the back of Paul's courage as he shared the gospel around him. And you know, we need examples. We need examples in our life of people who can share the gospel with others. We need only to look at history, the church, uh, church history and missionaries, distant, recent, and present, uh, presently, to see the courageous brothers and sisters that are persecuted daily, and yet their faith is strong, and they're still standing for the gospel. I may have shared this before, you may have heard this, but I, in 2003, I was able to take a trip to a closed country with missionaries that we supported, and I had the opportunity to teach the gospel of Mark uh, to village pastors and leaders, and they traveled some distance at, at their own expense. But I want to tell you, they were hungry for God's word. And we were all fully aware that if we were discovered or observed, they would send us home back to the United States. But they would, they would persecute them. They would retain, detain them. And they would cause them trouble and persecution in their villages when they went back. And it was so encouraging to me and so empowering to me uh, to watch these Chinese believers and uh, how encouraged they were and how challenged they were and how thankful they were that we would come and bring the word of God to them. These are our brothers. And we can piggyback on the courage, on their courage, and become a better witness. And some of these then, another aspect of this is some of these brothers had wrong motives. They had rivalry. Uh, they were false friends to Paul. Verse 15 says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy. Some of these bold brothers were preaching the true gospel, but they were envious of Paul. Imagine that. Maybe they were trying to usurp people from the church. Maybe they were trying to uh, take away his influence or drain away his followers. Maybe they just didn't, didn't like him for some reason. It happens. And have you ever had someone that just didn't like you? Have you ever had someone that you just didn't like? It happens. Maybe it never happens here. But perhaps they just didn't like Paul. Maybe he was too short or whatever. But uh, we don't know. But Paul says in chapter 2, do nothing through rivalry and conceit, but humility and humility count others more significant than yourselves. We need that mindset. 
He said the thinking of these brothers was, in verse 17, to afflict him. Their thoughts were to inflict him. Uh, that's like grinding his chains into his wrists and his feet a little more deeply. You know, That was like rubbing salt in his wounds. Imagine Christians acting like that. They certainly weren't motivated by love, were they? So may the Spirit of God protect us, protect our minds, that we're not led into that kind of destructive, hurtful temptation among ourselves. So these bold brothers were preaching the gospel, even though they had wrong motives uh, toward, toward Paul. And then there were other brothers that had love and goodwill. I like those kind of friends. I like those kind of partners. Everybody does. Verse 16 said, Paul said that they preached out of goodwill, again, knowing he was put there for the, for the gospel. They were thankful for his influence, for his example, for his faithfulness in suffering. They were probably cheering him on. You know, this causes me to think of the, the Liberty Communion. Nine churches with different pastors in different places, um, different theological training, different ministries, different settings. Uh, uh, these differences can be grounds for disunity, you know, for rivalry, for envy, or whatever. Uh, but all of them, from what I can see, are striving to have one mind concerning the gospel. And what a blessing that is in this day and age. They all uh, have a common, they're set on a common statement of faith that revolve around the main things, uh, the common held doctrines of the faith. And so they can lock, harm, uh, lock arms, and with, kind, with a kind spirit and love and goodwill, they can accomplish something for the kingdom. There can be great unity. There can be rejoicing. And most of all, there can be great fruitfulness. So either way, Paul says, in truth or pretense, he was happy. You notice there in verse 18, he said, I rejoice. You know, whether their motives are wrong or not, or whether they're with me, whether it's love and goodwill, he rejoiced because Jesus was being presented. And so... Number four, the gospel can be advanced and will only advance when we participate personally in the ministry of sharing Christ. So we have this awesome privilege to be a part of what God's doing, to, to represent him. And Spurgeon said, and you've probably heard this quote, that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. That's a tough statement. A missionary or an imposter. So we need to get with it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's take that as an encouragement. So we can participate locally. We can participate, and you know this, right in our family, sharing the gospel with our kids or with our family members, at work, in our neighborhoods, at church, in our region. We can learn to initiate conversations that may lead to a redemptive relationship. Let me say that one more time. We can initiate conversations that may lead to a redemptive relationship. And we all know that sharing Christ with, with people at times can be delicate, it can be detailed, it can go deeper than this. But really, folks, listen, evangelism is still one beggar telling another beggar where he found the bread. Can you agree with me on that? We can keep it simple. Alistair Begg said this, it brings me to tears. He said, salvation doesn't just pop out of the air to lost people. It comes through a witness and the word through people or a person, about the person, a person with a capital P. 
sent from heaven to do and accomplish the most amazing feat, born out of love, with results offered by grace. Hmm. What a Savior we have. So in the midst of culture wars, political wars, church wars possibly, we should be involved in an invasion of love to people. Let me just say that. With all the problems, with all the anger, with all the arguing about this, that, and the other thing, we can, take pe- we can initiate conversations in love to people because we care about them. People don't, people don't care how much we know, really, until they know how much we care about their soul. So we should be on a love invasion. And this word war, culture war, that just stirs up more anger. Just calling it cultural war. May I say that? So we can participate locally, and we can participate regionally. Uh, Pastor Angelo Giuliani, pastors uh, Bridge Community Church, he's one of the communion pastors, uh, Liberty Communion pastors. His 90-year-old-plus mother, get that, 90-year-old-plus mother, is in London, I think still. Maybe she's back by now. But she, he told me she's in London again. This was just last week. Again, sharing Christ with various ethnic groups through a, a ministry that's there. He said she witnesses to everything that breathes. He said she witnesses in Ubers and in taxis. He said she's older and bolder. <laughs> I like that. I about fell off my chair. She is older and bolder. Boy, I need that as I get older. Oh, my. That's so good. I was so encouraged by that. That's why I shared it with you. And so I want to show this slide when we think of globally, internationally. um, If they have the slide, there it is. This is Redeemer Church of Dubai, and you support Scott Zeller and our, our daughter, Angela and their family, they're, in, they're at Redeemer Church of Dubai, number one. And these are the churches that have been started, planted out from there, and these numbers represent those, obviously. And these are the years, partners to plant with the United Christian Church of Dubai, outside UAE, granddaughter plant. And why do I show this? Because... Some of your monies that you give prayerfully and, and by faith goes to plant these churches in Central Asia. God is on the move there. And their philosophy is, just like us, to be a church that plants churches. It doesn't come easy. It does not come easy. Satan hates it. He hates it, fights it all along the way. But they're training church planters in the golf training center. They come there from all over the world, finish their education, and then by God's grace, as he calls them, they, they assist them on going, to go out and plant churches. Hallelujah. It's multiplication. And we're part of that. And so let's keep on pressing on to advance the gospel by deepening our love for the church, by sharing the gospel uh, and making it a priority in all of our life. And by putting confidence in God's purposes, trusting that wherever we are is, his, is our mission station, 
It's our mission station, wherever we are, and by sustained personal participation. And so as we come to the Lord's table now, we transition to this, uh, may we come thankful and rejoicing that the message of forgiveness has reached our hearts again this morning. And let's come with a prayer on our lips for those who have yet to hear the gospel and respond to God's call to salvation. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your word and your truth. We're thankful for this soul-saving gospel. And sometimes, Lord, forgive us. We use the word so much, it can come to mean less. And Lord, I just pray that you give us a fresh anointing, a fresh encouragement to do our part to prioritize your gospel in the places that you put us. And we make ourselves available to you. We're not our own, for we're bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus. And so use us as you will. We pray it in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.